What's the first thing women do? Sometimes men too, but like women, especially as soon as they notice like body composition changes that are different or they're not happy with, they eat less and, and exercise more, right? Like that's like, and that's, that's going to be counterproductive for you. You're actually not going to, you might actually make things worse because your body is already stressed. So if you put another stress on top of it, it's just going to go into super conservation mode and store more and shut you down. Like that's just not what to do. The big question is this. In a world of fake Instagram models and bad diets, how do real people achieve their fitness goals? We are an army of hardworking women changing their lives through fitness and health. Wherever you are at on your journey, we have the answers to how to make working out and eating well a part of your life. Join us in changing the dialogue for women everywhere. Welcome to the Thick Thighs Save Lives podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Thick Thighs Save Lives podcast. I am super excited to have you guys back this week because we have a special guest, Celine Yeager. Celine, so happy to have you. I'm very stoked to be here. I'm very excited to be here. Our listeners are very excited to have you on. (laughs) I pulled some of our ladies before and I was like, okay, guys, like we're going to have a specialist on. She's going to talk specifically about menopause and like, what are your burning questions? And (laughs) I, within an hour, there was like 300 questions and I was like, okay, cool, cool. <laughs> like side text coming in, being like, them, right? <laughs> yeah. I was like, so we're gonna categorize these. <laughs> um, but can you just tell our listeners like a little bit about you and why you're an expert um, for menopause? Oh boy. Well, yeah. I mean, I expert on menopause is a big uh, shield to hold up here. So let me let me just back up a little bit. I have been in the health and fitness and and competitive space for a long time. I've been writing for Bicycling Magazine since the late 90s. I still have a column with Bicycling Magazine. I have been a competitive athlete myself, mostly on the endurance space. You know, I I did the Ironman thing and mountain bike stage racing. And uh, honestly, I thought that I had was maybe going to miss menopause because I had I had been racing like through my 40s, you know, at a really pretty high level. And it wasn't until I hit, it was, I was pushing 50, like 48, 49. I was like, Oh, (laughs) that's what everybody was talking about. And it, it really threw me because literally like in my younger years as a personal trainer, I would hear women tell me like overnight, it felt like their body changed. Like they were doing all the things, the training, the nutrition, the strength training, you know, all they had a routine and it was working for them. And then They would tell me like seemingly overnight that their body was changing and things weren't working. And I I have apologized a million times in my head and out loud to them since because I didn't believe them. And now I'm like, wow, it really does feel like it's overnight. And what was interesting is concurrently, uh, maybe people don't know. So if they don't, I co-authored Roar with Dr. Stacey Sims, which was the book on, you know, working with your physiology as a woman and, and training and nutrition and hydration and all that as a woman, unique physiology. And 
we had heard a lot of blowback that one chapter on menopause was not enough, but that book came out, you know, I still wasn't sort of in that space myself, nor was Stacy. And as we both got closer to that, we're like, the right one, one chapter is not enough. So we started working on a book that will actually be out this year. That is a follow up to that. That is for the menopausal audience. Anyone who's starting that hormonal havoc from anywhere in the forties on when I hit the skids, I texted Stacy and I was like, I, I honestly don't know if I can write this book. Like I started really freaking out because I have this ethics that if I'm going to write about something and tell people any sort of advice, I have to believe it or, and have witnessed it myself. And I was like, I'm a mess. She's like, calm down. You know, and she told me all this stuff to do. And I, I got on top of it and I was like, okay, I can write this book. So in amidst all that, I also got an offer to do this podcast, hit play, not pause. Because for, wow, I mean, there's so, I could go on and on about this, obviously, because I have a podcast and I'm writing a book, but it hits women in general out of nowhere. And it's it's still this shameful kind of thing that people don't like to talk about because we have all these cultural associations that it means you're you're old and unattractive and, and done with and all this stuff that you've kind of been absorbing your whole life. And then you're like, oh, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. But it's really, I mean, you're... It's your hormones. And they're it, just like they change at puberty, they change at the end of the line. But everybody tells you about puberty and nobody tells you about the other end of the line. And if you're an athletic woman or interested in your performance, all of your identity is suddenly rocked, right? And it's it's a big freaking deal and nobody was talking about it. And I thought, I have this platform. I have this opportunity. I've been a writer forever. I've been a writer in the women's health space you know, since the mid-90s. All these experts I have to call on, it would be criminal of me not to take up this platform and not to be the face of it because I can. And I want to change that conversation. And I want people to see like it's not the end of the line. So, you know, here I am. <laughs> here I am doing it. But it's, yeah, it's been a really interesting journey. And man, people are so grateful. They're so grateful. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm so, I'm so thankful you took that on because it's true. Like, what does that mean psychologically when you start to hit this place? Like, what does that mean for me as an athlete? What does that mean for me as a woman? And I think we talk about the like physiological changes a lot. Like we talk about what's happening with our, not even a lot, like a little bit what's happening with your body, but like, that's a really great point with like just a discussion around like, what is, what does that mean? Like, is this, is this this like big stigma we're like not talking about? Like, do I have to like completely change my training? Like, that's really important to get the conversation going and like right. get some information to these women about that. Kind of like we did for, for menstruation, right? Like that was our big thing. Like, honestly, the big, the big picture, if I had to give one for Roar, was to, to get people talking about periods and menstruation and how those hormones, how those sex hormones are, how they fluctuate really impacts you. And, but you, you're not, you don't necessarily just have to be at the mercy of it. You can work with it, right? To optimize your performance and your physiology during those times. And the same thing is true, you know, at this end, like your, your body's going to be constantly changing, but I didn't even know even after all these years of writing about it, until I started working on these projects, that estrogen is anabolic. So now I'm like, okay, well, you know, if men's testosterone disappeared within a period of three to five years, I think we'd be freaking talking about it. Yeah. You know well, what I mean? Know like, we would be talking oh about it. Oh my God. <laughs> so that's what's happening. 
I mean, that is a, that's a big freaking deal. It's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And getting into like how those changes are happening, how does menopause specifically affect training and performance? There's a laundry list of things that estrogen does. It is, but but (laughs) but but I was prepared for this question, so I'll hit the high notes. I mean, it's important that people know. I mean, estrogen and progesterone work together, right? But both of them together perform a lot of functions within your body that affect performance. Not including not limited to anabolic, helps muscle protein synthesis, helps you maintain muscle, helps you build muscle, which also helps with recovery, right? Like all those things, very important. Insulin sensitivity, so how you use carbs. When women hit menopause, they become more carbohydrate sensitive, like the insulin sensitivity. So you have to be a little choosier about your carbohydrates just to not have those spikes and, you know, just sort of keep that under control. Uh, temperature regulation is a huge thing. I've talked to a lot of, you know, ultra runners and, and people who do long stuff out in the elements. And when your thermal regulation is not as consistent and doesn't work as well, it's harder. You have to take more layers. You have to plan, uh, your mood swings, like it, they affect your neurotransmitters. So depression, anxiety, stress is huge. So this is really important, especially for your audience, because I know a lot of them, you know, spend time in the, weightlifting space, that your inflammation, your systemic inflammation goes up because as those hormones decline, your cortisol levels rise and your cortisol is your stress hormone. And that also influences inflammation. So like anything you can do to recovery becomes really, it's always really important because really, really important, like best recovery practices sleep, which becomes harder because your sleep gets disrupted. But you have to just sort of, it becomes another sport (laughs) almost, you know, to sort of take care of the the pieces that go missing or need more help as those hormones decline. Yes. And since you brought up sleep, I had a a ton of questions from my audience about sleep um, because they seem to be really struggling with that. I've talked to them about like the importance of recovery and how important it is to sleep. That's when our muscles grow and recover and like they don't develop in the gym, they develop in recovery. So they're having a lot of trouble sleeping. What can they do to sleep a little bit better? Is there any tips that you have? Yeah, I, I will do a little plug for one of the shows because I had a sleep specialist on just for this. And it was Dr. Sophie Bostock. Save Your Sleep was the was the episode of Hit Play Not Pause. And there's a whole show on it. But and, and she talks about the three elements that, that you need to take care of. And one is your circadian rhythms. One is your sleep pressure, like what makes you feel tired. And one is the big, big, big one is stress. So circadian rhythm is all the stuff people talk about all the time, right? Like get up, expose yourself to light, try to get up at the same time every day, just keeping that circadian rhythm strong and consistent. Sleep pressure, same kind of thing. Like don't drink all the coffee at the end of the day. It's going to disrupt things. You know, it's going to throw off that natural building up of adenosine over, over time. It's a brain chemical that actually puts you in that space where you get tired and want to go to sleep. And the big thing, big thing, big thing is stress. And that's one of the things. So uh, Dr. Bostock was, had a great metaphor. She's like, if you were in the Serengeti and, you know, you were very tired and you were working with your circadian rhythms, but you wanted to go to sleep and there was a pride of lions by you, you would not be able to go to sleep. And if you did, you wouldn't stay asleep very long because your stress system will wake you up. Like your stress system overrides those other things. So 
any kind of mindfulness. I mean, she has people, What one of the number one things she tells women to do, especially in this time, is practice like 10 minutes a day where you, you can call it mindfulness, you can call it meditation, or you can just call it doing nothing, where you sit and you just like, just do nothing, stare out the window, calm your mind, take deep breaths, and just sort of train your brain to get into that space, to get into that space where it's okay. Because a lot of women, especially at this time of life, they get to the end of the day and they hit the pillow. And that's the first time they've let their brain check out and their brain's not going to check out. So mm-hmm. managing stress is yeah. huge. Because it's the first time it has to time to adjust like the other things. <laughs> it goes over all the lists. Yeah, everything. <laughs> or it will wake you up at two in the morning to go mm-hmm. over everything. Not eating two hours before bedtime is pretty important as you reach this menopausal age, just because it's, it's harder to sort of settle into that rest and digest state. So giving yourself that time is really helpful. There are supplements that a lot of our audience find. They're called adaptogens. Stacey Sims is really into adaptogens, and you can check some of those online. But they what they do is they make your body more stress resilient. It, always, it all comes down to stress. So ashwagandha is a popular one uh, that lets you rest and manage your stress. And it's also really some great, I didn't know until we wrote about it for bicycling, there's some really great uh, sport and athletic research around it too. So I recommend that. And I, I found success with CBD. I, I actually wrote a book on it. And I was super skeptical because everybody was like, oh, talking about their CBD. And I started taking it. And I'm like, and it helped me sleep through the night. And I was like, oh, okay. So yeah, I mean, it, it takes some trial and error. It takes some yeah, practice, I, but you I can definitely do it. I found some success with CBD too. Yeah. Yeah. It really makes a difference though. Sleep is big. So that was a really good mix of like of like natural remedies with some with some like added in. Like that was a really nice mix of both. So I know we like touched on training a little bit and effects on the body, but how can we kind of adjust our training to mitigate some of these issues? One of the things that works really well for women when they get into this space is to do to take their training a little more polarized. You know, so instead of spending a lot of time, especially if they are endurance, but even in the strength training space, like spending a lot of time in that eight to 12 rep range or spending a lot of time in that just sort of hard, you know, running or whatever your your endurance activity is, is a, is, is more stressful on the body, right? It kind of raises some of that inflammation and cortisol. So you want to you want to make sure that you have more time that is truly easy and more time that is like way hard. Because you need to make up for the lack of estrogen. And lifting heavy shit and doing sprint interval training is super important for that. Super important for that. Like, and I'm sure your audience already lifts heavy and they love to hear that. Yeah. It is, it is hugely important because you, you need to send your whole body that signal to get, to keep those neuromuscular connections, to keep all the muscle fibers you can at your disposal. It's, really, really important. A lot of, a lot of endurance in my world, you know, a lot of endurance athletes have been resistant to that. And I'm like, that's not going to make you bulky. Please stop already. It's 2021. And they're finally getting it. Like a lot of them. Oh my God. Do you know how hard that is? (laughs) I want to just blow my head off. I mean, I used to, I'm someone who has always until now, you know, put on muscle super, super easily. But, but, but when you lift heavy, that's not what it's about. It's about like, stimulating your central nervous system and being makes you so much more efficient at everything you do and resilient. And, you know, the same thing with sprint interval training, just hitting those really high notes, and then truly respecting your recovery days and spending a little less time in the middle. I mean, that's the easiest way to look at it. 
Yes, I love that. And we didn't talk about this before. I didn't tell her to say that, guys. No, 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 she <laughs> we didn't. didn't. Talk about this before. <laughs> but I know that sometimes women, when they get into that phase of their training, they're like, no, I'm not going to lift heavy anymore. And I'm like, oh, guys, why? This is actually, what's, what's the resistance to it? You know, I think there is a lot um, in our society, a lot of um, stigma around lifting heavy, heavy and the safety around that. And mm. of course, we want to lift mm. safely. Right. Like that's number one always. But that doesn't mean we can't lift heavy. You can lift heavy safely. A hundred percent. And I can, it's interesting that you say that because I can really speak to that because I had a uh, Lisbeth Darshan. Do you know who she is? She used to be big in CrossFit and now she's on the street parking. But uh, we had a good conversation about that because when I first walked into sort of the CrossFit space or started lifting like that, I am a cyclist first, you know, and bike racing and, and that is my priority. So I'm not going really ever to do in the weight room what I would do on my bike, you know, like empty myself out and take it to whatever limit. And if I crash, I crash, right? Like that's me on my bike. But in the weight room, I'm still going to lift heavy shit. But I, but I scale 90%, right? Because I'm just not, it's not worth it to me to take any risk, but I'm still getting that benefit. I am still doing five, five sets of five reps of really heavy deadlifts. I'm just not trying to really see what my one repetition max is because it doesn't, it's, it doesn't matter to me. I'm not competing. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing that, but I'm still getting those benefits. Absolutely. And I did want to ask you, what are some of, so that this was the first thing is how do women know when they're hitting menopause um, or in the perimenopause? We are just calling it the menopausal transition because it's so confusing. A lot of them had questions of like when, okay, good. I'm glad that you recognize, I'm sure like you get this all the time, but you recognize it is confusing because a lot of women were like, I know this might sound weird, but I'm not sure. So how can they recognize Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, the easiest for some people, but it wasn't for me, like, you know, some people get the period, like their, their menstrual cycles get wacky, right? Like, and that's the first sign like, oh, okay, my hormones are starting to fluctuate. Because really what's happening is as your eggs are sort of declining and, you know, you're just sort of like running out, so to speak, you know, your, your, your progesterone and estrogen start fluctuating because they, they're what regulate that menstrual cycle. So the regulation goes a little haywire to, for lack of a better way. And then it's just those, those hormones as you, your ovulation stops, they stop, right? They flatline. But there's a lot, as those hormones start going, you can still be getting your periods pretty regularly. I was, I mean, the first, sometimes the first signs are just a little weird. Like I was just, I was more anxious and it was just like, I was starting to wake up in the middle of the night, like almost like a panic attack. And in retrospect, now I know what that was. I didn't then. You know, and I was soaking the sheets. I was having these night sweats. But also when I'm training really, really hard in stage racing, sometimes I furnace at night. So a lot of it was easy to sort of write off. But looking back in hindsight, I'm like, oh, okay, that's what that was. Anything with your temperature regulation is a pretty good sign. Mood swings that are unusual are a pretty good sign. Certainly if you're starting to like have crime level bleeding, like your periods are super funky, that's a sign. But there, there's literally like 37 symptoms, you know, that you can. So it's all over the map and everybody experiences differently. Some people get headaches. Some people... You just, if you know yourself, you know when things are starting to sort of change. And, and it's any time in your mid-ish 40s is usually when that stuff starts to happen. But it, 
you do, most people, and I, I, I'm only broad, broad brushing because, you know, every woman is very different. Most people feel it most keenly in those last couple of years before, like, the, the lights go out on the ovaries and the periods stop. Body composition changes are huge. Like, your muscle seems to go and you, you're putting on fat, in, especially in places you've never had it. Like, I, you know, belly fat is a thing. I mean, body composition changes because your body is, like, putting fat into your abdominal stores where it didn't before. Yeah. I think a lot of women had said like, oh, well, I'm only this age, but I'm kind of noticing these things, kind of like talking themselves out of it. And I think like one of the things that you just said there is like, you know yourself the best. And if you're starting to experience some of these changes and you're starting to notice, you know, like some of these things that you could easily write off, like, you know, some night sweats, like a couple nights a week and you're like, ah, well, sometimes when I'm training really hard, like this happens, but If you're starting to notice these things in your body, like you are the expert. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, know, it can be a 10 year process and it, it's, it's really just recognizing that your hormones are shifting and not, not putting any other emotional weight on that, right? Like not being like, Oh, I'm menopausal. Like you don't need to go there. Just being like, Oh, okay. The hormones are starting to shift. And you know, it, you can, then you can get on top of it earlier, you know, start doing some of those sleep hygiene practices or, you know, looking at maybe some of those adaptogens or checking some stuff out to like start getting on top of that physiology before it becomes incredibly disruptive. So I think that's mm-hmm. what I would have done had I known. Yeah, if you, if you knew what you know now. Right. So as you start to notice some of these like changes, what are some common mistakes to avoid? Don't diet. Stop it. You shouldn't diet oh, anyway. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, what's the first thing women do, sometimes men too, but like women, especially as soon as they notice like body composition changes that are different or they're not happy with, they eat less and and exercise more, right? Like that's like, and that's, that's going to be counterproductive for you. You're actually not going to, you might actually make things worse because your body is already stressed. So if you put another stress on top of it, it's just going to go into super conservation mode. And store more and shut you down. Like, that's just not what to do. So women need protein, protein, protein. I know we get this this hammered into us all the time. But as your muscle protein synthesis becomes harder and not as easy to do in your physiology, you need protein all through the day. You should be eating protein breakfast, lunch, dinner, and your snacks. Like, period. That is super important. And then fuel your activity. Make sure... Make sure that you fuel what you're going to do. Lots of people, I see it all the time, you know, they have this idea like, oh, maybe I won't eat before I work out or maybe I won't eat after I work out because that way I'll lose this weight. And that, again, your body's just going to hang on to it. Fuel around your activity for sure. Eat your protein throughout the day and that will support you. Your body needs to be supported and then it will be more cooperative. It will be like, oh, I'm being supportive. I I will, you know, I'll do these things. It's it's just more, it's easier for it to like make muscle and support your activity and recover instead of being in a stressed out state all the time. 
Yeah, I really love the approach to working with your body instead of against it because we want our bodies to co- like to cooperate with what whatever we're trying it to does, do at the fighting, time. Fighting it does not work. <laughs> no, it is not going to work because ultimately your body is smarter than you because it has one job and it's to survive. Yep. So <laughs> it's going to outsmart whatever diet you want to throw on, whatever you know changes that you want to say. No, you will react in this way. Like your body will do what it wants to do. (laughs) Stacey sees it all the time too. She sees like women get into low energy availability. And when you're premenstrual or premenopausal and you still have your periods regularly, you know when you're getting into that danger zone because your periods stop, right? You become amenorrhetic. But like when you are, if they're funky and you don't get them regularly or you are postmenopause, you don't have that red flag saying you're in the danger zone of not having enough nutrition. And that's really bad for you. So, but she has had, I can't tell you, because I have all these case studies where she has these women who've been doing this to themselves, maybe their whole lives. And now that they're in menopause, they're really, really fighting because they don't like these body composition changes. And she has them eat more and then the body composition improves because they're, they're, they're supporting their activity. Like, I don't know if you wear a whoop strap or an aura ring. Like there's sometimes I am burning 3000 calories a day, right? 3000. You could be in the gym. You could easily, so, so many women, they're feeding themselves like 1500 calories or some bullshit. And it's like, you're not eating enough. And you expect your body to perform and, right. <laughs> and, and work with you when you're, when you're not putting the gas in the tank. It's like, we need to be fueling our bodies and working with our bodies if we want to see it work with us. Amen. And I think you brought up a a great point there too with um, some of the body composition changes, which I think was probably the most asked question surrounding people are seeing body fat in places that they haven't before, primarily in their like lower abdominal. Yep. So the, they wanted to know, is there anything that they can do? Like, what are some tips for that? Again, working with your physiology is super important. I will say that you may always have a little bit more, like I have never had much of much weight around my waist. My waist has definitely gotten somewhat thicker. It does settle down. I will say that like during the main fluctuations, it's kind of like super PMS if you want to think of it that way like sometimes it's just like you like in the thick of like when the hormones are really swinging it feels like you can't get on top of any of it right and it's very it, it reminded me of like PMS on steroids sometimes but you're you you might always end up with a little bit and men do too a little bit of like a migration of fat and a little layer and that is actually evolutionary evolution I can't even say it it's protective it's um it's a protective yeah. mechanism too so you gotta let go of some of that but that doesn't mean I mean I feel I feel like everything is settled down now and I'm in a pretty good place I have a little you know I'm a little bit here and there where I didn't before but it's not terrible and it's, it's fine you know it's just fine my body is performing and uh it's good but yeah there, there's some shifts but working with your body some of that, if you if you get on top of your sleep and you get on top of your stress, it helps mitigate that as well. Like a lot of like stress also brings abdominal fat. Like you don't want obviously the visceral fat hugging your organs, right? Like that's not good for you. But taking care of all the stuff that we've been talking about, taking care of putting on the lean muscle composition, eating your protein, getting your sleep, staying on top of your stress, all of that stuff will definitely help mitigate those switches. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I know she talked about protein a lot, but protein with every snack, with every, every meal. Yeah. I mean, Stacy is a, is vigilant about it. And everything I read just is, you know, all the studies, the studies just back it up, especially women like 30. I'm not a big counter. I'm not somebody who, who likes to tell people they need to count, but it's not a bad idea to get on top of counting to see like how much you are eating. Cause she, because the research recommends about 30 grams at every meal. And that's, that's a lot. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting to see like how much you are actually getting. I think the biggest fear for women around that, the one that I've heard the most when I tell them, eat more and eat more protein and eat around your workouts. And, and traditionally the whole idea has been like, well, I, I go as long as I can without eating. And then I, work out and expect my body to perform well. And then, and then I, you're telling me to eat more and eat more protein. 30 grams of protein in a meal is a lot. And I think that if you have never weighed or tracked your food like that, I think it's a really good idea just to see where mm-hmm. you don't have to do it forever. Totally. You don't have to have don't a meal do and do it for the rest yeah. of your life. I don't, that's not, that's not my either. game, but I definitely think that if you don't know where you're at, like just getting an idea of what we're talking about for you to eat, you might be very surprised. Yeah, totally. And and if nothing else, just make sure you center your meal around protein. And and I know p- women are, I mean, we're, we've become so afraid to eat. But again, you will be surprised. Like once I said, screw it, I'm just going to like listen to myself and fuel myself and eat when I'm like on recovery days, I, I Sometimes I wouldn't eat because, well, I'm not exercising, but my body needed to recover. It needed fuel. Like, so when I actually started doing that, my body composition settled back down. Like, you know, I I lost some of the extra weight and it, it just actually works better, especially when you're in this stress state. You need to, you need to not add to the stress and intermittent fasting is not good for women. That research was done on men. It was done on men. When women that when women did it, they actually became more pre-diabetic and diabetic. That we were writing about that all the time. It's not good for women. I'm so glad you brought that. We up. have different survival <laughs> so mechanisms. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we get these. It's so hard because in this space, I'm glad we found each other. <laughs> in this space, it's like these diet things, they come up and they're like pushed on women really hard because like ultimately diet culture is geared towards women. Like ultimately 100%. that's what it's for. And like we do these studies on men, but then we gear it towards women. So it's kind of like with intermittent fasting, it's been this like weird thing because like the studies have been towards men, but the main, the people that are practicing intermittent fasting is women. And especially when you start to hit this stage of your life and it's working with your body and you're setting these rules that have absolutely nothing to do with your body's needs, then we're just trying to adapt to some kind of time system that has nothing to do with your body's needs. Like this is crazy. Crazy crazy counterproductive it's not good for you if you i i encourage everyone to try to fuel around their workouts and eat more like actually do those things and see how they feel see how they perform and see what it does for them because it actually it actually works but we're so programmed to fight against ourselves we're so programmed diet culture has been a disaster a disaster. That's literally why we started our podcast because we were like, this has got to stop. <laughs> we were like, we got to talk to the people because this has got to stop. Well, can I can I tell you like your, your podcast, did you see the study that came out about speaking of thick thighs save lives? 
I didn't, no. There was lit. I just wrote about this, I think maybe just last week. So there was a study that came out in the Journal of the American Heart Association, right? So big, this is a big journal. And it was on 11,000, more than 11,000 adults, half men, half women out of UCLA. And they found that in women, but not men, body fat is protective against dying from cardiovascular disease. And that no matter like women with higher body fat, regardless of muscle, muscle was really protective too, but fat was just as protective and lower body fat is particularly protective. So yes, I mean, literally the Journal of the American Heart Association didn't put it in their headline, but I did. Thick thighs save lives. I mean, it's- go. There you go. That's amazing. Finally, they're catching up to us. (laughs) But this is the gender (laughs) difference we're talking about. So you can Mm -hmm. like, so the, the, the journal literally said that to make women healthier, we should focus more on telling them just to get in the gym and make muscle and not worry about weight loss. That literally they said those words. Yeah. And it's wild because every time you go in to speak to a trainer, the first thing that they ask you is about weight loss. And even if like I've spoken to women who said that wasn't even my goal going in, but I kind of had to pick like a weight loss number. And I'm like, that's the wrong person. That's messed up. (laughs) I'm like, you know what? You just got to leave that one because like that, it's just so programmed that you must be here to lose weight. And that's just, it's insane. That's insane. That's very disappointing. The other question I wanted to ask you too had to do with metabolism because a lot of women, they said, how can my metabolism is slowed and what can I do to kind of combat this and the, the crazy- Lift heavy shit, that. sprint interval training. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and get on top of your stress like and don't, yeah. and don't fast. Absolutely. Absolutely. We did a whole episode on metabolism and I was like, guys, go back to that one. But I know that they want to hear specifically for women that are in this, you know, that are going through menopause and, and if they should do something different, but to increase your metabolism, you need to continue putting the muscle on your body. Totally. No, it's really, (laughs) it's really important. And you, you know, you probably, I, I don't know how often people lift, but definitely it, it needs to be a priority. It needs to be a priority for your metabolism and just for your life, like for to keep you strong, to keep you resilient, all of that stuff. I mean, it, 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 it combats a whole lot of things and it only improves the quality of your life. My next one was about hormone replacement therapy. Lots of questions about it. How does it affect weight loss um, or muscle gain? And is it necessary? And then a lot of women were asking if there was a more natural way they could get the same benefits. Yeah. I mean, I I, I need to qualify, of course, that I'm not a doctor, you know, so I I don't want to step into that space. I will say, because we're we're reporting on it all the time, that women were done a, a tremendous disservice about 20 years ago with the Women's Health Initiative study, which the 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 ramifications of which are still rippling through uh society today, where they basically said, Oh my God. Hormone replacement, which is now called menopausal hormone therapy. Uh, at the time, they called it hormone replacement therapy. And they were like, it causes stroke. It causes this. It causes cancer. And everybody stopped taking it. And that those studies have since been tossed, deep six. Like, they, they're not relevant. They, they, were, they were problematic. Hormone replacement therapy or menopausal hormone therapy is largely very, very safe, especially within 10 years of menopause, you know, on either side of that. And... Not everybody needs it, but if, if, 
basically what we've been saying in the book and in some of the, the channels and the experts, I've, I've had a lot of experts on the show talk about this, that if your symptoms are incredibly disruptive to your life, okay, like for some women, they're getting hot flashes multiple times a day, like really bad hot flashes, and it's incredibly disruptive. Or your night night sweats are disruptive. Are you getting migraines, vertigo? I could go on and on, right? Depression. By all means, by all means, talk to your doctor and look into hormone therapy because it can really, really help you. It can also help with some of the vaginal symptoms. I mean, some women get incredibly dry. They have it's painful. None of that's fun, you know. Like you can you can get topical estrogen for that. As far as body composition, that is all over the map. Like I would not, I would tell you if you're going to pursue it for that, don't bother because it's kind of like the pill. You find people are like, oh, I got on the pill and I put on all this weight. Like everybody reacts differently, but it's really, it's not, it's not going to really help with your body composition situation. That's, it's just not recommended for that. So that's as far as I would say for that. As far as natural, I will say a lot of people get sort of pulled into this bioidentical idea of like, oh, I'll take wild yam or I'll take, you know, there, there's this whole idea that the bioidenticals are somehow different from what you get from the pharmacy. And that's actually, there's not much to that either. And one of the problems is some of those bioidenticals aren't really regulated. So you, you don't know that you're getting what you need. And it's, it's, it's not more natural because some of the pharmacy stuff is also from natural sources. It's not just like the synthetic stuff that comes out of the air. So if you're going to go the hormone route, just go the hormone route. If you're not going to go the hormone route, you know, again, some of those adaptogens that I mentioned before uh, are very useful. Ashwagandha, Shisandra, Stacey also likes holy basil. There's, there's a whole list of them that are are useful and and most of that again is working with your is is working with your stress you know which is a huge which is one of the things that's causing a lot of the symptomology yep yep we got to keep we got to keep the stress down it's, it's a huge <laughs> thing especially yeah because your body's it's it's not controlling it as well as on its own so you really have to help it so it's, it's a huge part of the picture mm-hmm. yep and can we talk just a little bit about like organ prolapse, pelvic floor? What what should a lifter do to avoid some of those things? I know a lot of women, I've talked to them about like urinating during workouts, yep, but yep, yep. what are any advice? I will, if, I, if you don't mind me plugging another episode, because I had a pelvic floor specialist on uh, Stop the Leaks. <laughs> it was the episode on hip plane up. Uh, it's super, super common. And, and actually... Sometimes hormone replacement can help with that. Hormone therapy can help with that because what's happening is those tissues are, you know, A, your muscle strength is deteriorating all over the place, right? And your pelvic floor is largely muscular. And it's also the tissues are getting dry and irritated. So, you know, around your urethra and all of it just sort of compounds to make it harder to keep everything in, so to speak. But what I didn't know and is very useful is that your your pelvic floor is you want to think about your pelvic floor as the bottom of your core if you will so if you think of your core like a canister you know you got the front you got your transverse abdominis you got the deep abdominal muscles and the obliques and the the erector muscles in the back well your pelvic floor sits at the bottom of that and if you are weak throughout any part of your core it puts more work on the pelvic floor than it is intended to do and it will give out when you are doing things, you know, it will be the first thing to give out. And that's when you start wetting yourself. So sometimes pelvic floor specialists have you work on core strength overall, 
like doing not just Kegels, which everybody knows, but sort of doing more. She has people actually do, uh, do you know what child's pose is in yoga? So they do like a child's pose or over a ball and they do this deep diaphragmatic breathing and they do a Kegel and sort of get everything working in sync together. And it's amazing how well that can work for, you know, just small bits of incontinence. You know, if you're having real issues, I would say see a pelvic floor specialist, but you can get on top of a lot of that by working on your core strength, doing your Kegels, doing deep breathing into your diaphragm, just getting everything in sync together can really help. Yeah, I had talked to some of the women about like the difference that doing a lot of that deep breathing, like literally just like laying on the floor in your living room and like on your back and like literally doing that deep breathing into your, the bottom of your belly and like how much of a difference that can actually make when it comes to your pelvic floor. And when you do that, then pull in too. Like when you get, Mm -hmm. like do that and then get to a point where then you also start, like you're trying to Drink a milkshake through your vagina. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like a vacuum. Yeah. You're vacuuming. Yes, vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, the best way I could explain it. I'm like, it's almost like a vacuum. Right. <laughs> You're going to suck something up in there. <laughs> but yes. it's true. It really, it really does work. <laughs> and and it's, it's very different. Like when we think of our like core and like what our pelvic floor is actually doing, but it's not core as in like, okay, I'm going to, you know, the outside part of my right, core. It's really right. the inside. So right. like it, it, we have to get those two to connect and it feels a little bit different. And when you get them to connect, you're like, oh, this is different than like doing just like core exercise. hundred percent. It's not the superficial stuff. It's that really deep layer yeah. that matters. Yeah. Absolutely. You answered so many of our questions. Thank you so much. I want to let our ladies know where they can hear more from you too, because I know they're going to have more questions and want to listen to your podcast, Hit Play, Not Pause. Will you just say like real quick how you came up with that name? Because I thought it was really awesome. I have to say, it kills me to say this, that my husband came up with it, but I have to (laughs) <laughs> I I literally I had the idea for the show. I was so stoked on it. I had no name. And I was just like I'm literally sitting around the the table. It's a Sunday morning. I just made breakfast and we were going to be debuting the show like super soon. I'm like what the hell? And I don't know, we were just sort of riffing. You know, he's a creative uh, content creator too and he's like hit play not pause. I was like, "Oh my god." Like that's it. Perfect. Like that, that is, I love, <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it. I love, I, yeah, I love it. Cause it's just like embodies everything I wanted it to be. Yeah. Cause we're not, that's not stopping when you hit right. this part of your life. Like it's not stopping. Like we're, we're hitting play. Like we're keep going. This isn't totally. where it's like, Oh, I can't lift. Not the end of the anymore. line. I, not the end of the it's line. It's not the end of the line. And it's not, it doesn't mean all of these things now that you've like put on yourself other than like, we need to make some adjustments to work with our body and not against it. But I think this, it's just this weird thing where like, I, now I'm in this phase and that means that I have to be this person. And there's so much that goes with that. And there's just like a lot of stigma. And I'm so thankful that you, you know, have taken this on and, um, and really have opened up the conversation for it's women. It's great. I mean, I think, it, I think it's really, I know it's working. I can see it working already, but, but it, it's, it's seeping into the, in, into the mainstream ether. And it's just, it, once we get comfortable about talking about it and we see people who are still like, 
doing all the rad stuff, right? And they're in their 50s or whatever, then it, it just becomes more normalized and, and you feel comfortable in your skin and talking about it and not like you're alone. In the, and that's, that's what we're all here for. Yeah, absolutely. So where can, where can they find more from you? Where can our ladies get more from you? Well, they can definitely check out Hit Play, Not Pause, the podcast. We also have a closed Facebook group. All you have to do is ask to be let in. And we'll let you in. We just keep any out trolls and spammers and that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, us too. Yeah, That's okay. <laughs> yeah the same thing. Same. And it's it's a great, great community. We have a few thousand women in there. And you can just go and ask questions. Like anything, you know, people all the time, like, anyone experiencing this? Or I have this race coming up. Or I'm doing this. And it's just like a really supportive community. So highly, highly recommend that. We have the company that does the podcast is called Live Feisty. So everything they do is feisty. So there's a feisty menopause Instagram, there's a feisty menopause, Facebook, you know, can find a lot of stuff there. And then they can just check out if they're interested in just me. I'm at fitchick3 on Instagram, because I've been doing the ask the fitchick and stuff for bicycling since the 90s. And I'm at uh, fitchick Celine Yeager on Facebook. (laughs) I'm still here when they came up with that in 1998. I I didn't think I'd be here in 2021. But here we are. And here you are, <laughs> people surging you up. <laughs> so crazy. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I know this was so helpful for our audience, and I know they're going to have more questions after this, so they're definitely going to check you out on some of those platforms. I'll be searching up Fit Chick. Fit Chick. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you again. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It was really great. Thank you so much for listening to the Thick Thighs Save Lives podcast. If you'd like to join our movement, head over to the Facebook group and take part in our free weekly workouts for a chance to win some badass gear. Search Fitness Programming by CVG on Facebook. We're in there every day. It's a perfect place to get in touch with us. This podcast is made possible by Constantly Varied Gear, so be sure to check out ConstantlyVariedGear.com. See you next week. Crush your goals.